0: Hello and welcome to Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Dabayoki, David Brothers, Chips Darsky, and myself, Christopher Butcher, you can follow along with our show notes and reading list and much, much more at MangaSplaining.com. So as I mentioned in the intro, my name is Christopher Butcher, and this week our book is one that we actually had suggested a lot when we started the podcast. It is called An Invitation from a Crab by an author named Panpanya. Pompanya is referred to as in by in gender-neutral pronouns by the publisher. However, they self-refer to themselves as he. But I think it's sort of flexible, so we're going to use a variety of pronouns on this episode, trying to respect how everyone refers to uh, this author. So, you know, if we end up being disrespectful, I apologize in advance. Pampanga's invitation from a crab is a really interesting book, and it's one I wanted to do because it's very different than anything we've done so far on the podcast. Pampania sort of rose to fame by being a self publisher, by making doujinshi, going to Comedia, the doujinshi festival that is for people that make sort of original series, original ideas rather than parodies or things like that. And their work was particularly notable because they liked to do really sort of artsy stuff. And, you know, you say that to a North American audience and you think that doesn't mean anything, but the doujinshi scene in Japan tends to be pretty codified. There are numerous dojinshi printers in Japan that you send them files, and they will pump out a beautiful, perfect-looking, bound thirty-two or forty-eight or sixty-four-page book. They'll deliver it right to your table at the show. So most of the time, when independent publishers or dojinshi artists, manga artists make a new dojinshi, they see it for the first time sitting at their table at the show that they're about to sell it at, which as anyone who's ever made a comic <laughs> for a show knows, is terrifying. <laughs> like, oh my God, I hope it turned out because I ordered 5,000 of these and I'm supposed to sell them in the next six hours. But that's the way it goes. pompania on the other hand, is known for doing things like hand binding. their are doujinshi. Doing hardcover editions. Doing individual remarking, which is to say getting a printed edition and then like coloring in the cover by hand and selling it that way. All kinds of really interesting stuff. Their book here, an invitation from a crab, is their second collection of work, and we also did something a little special this episode where I interviewed the translator, Co Ransom, and that's going to show up as an as a segment in about at about the forty five minute mark. <laughs> jump ahead or look in the show notes to see when it actually is if you want to hear the jump interview. ahead, <laughs> uh, jump ahead, and then come back to the beginning. We got to get those <laughs> listener counts up. Like listen to this episode three four times maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking about the background and talk about this book i just checked and i was going to like explain the book by reading the back of the book because we've been doing that lately back of the book offers no information it's just like Pompania is really interesting and they won an award also here's the dictionary definition of what a crab is and it's like that does not help that does not help you as a listener know about this book so let me instead say that invitation from a crab is a collection of short stories some of them original to this book some of them that were serialized online and some collecting doujinshi work They are poetic, they are artistic, sometimes they're jokes, sometimes they're true stories, and sometimes they have the sheen of true stories but are the furthest thing from it. It's a really interesting book, and I think for folks that have a sort of regular manga, a type, let's say, I think that reading something like An Invitation from a Crab will show you that there's a lot more to manga than maybe you've been reading. So I want to go around and um, we're going to do classic we're going to do classic asking people what they thought this time. <laughs> and I'm going to start alphabetically with Deb Aoki and ask Deb what did you think of An Invitation from a Crab by Ponponya?
1: It's I I mean I had heard of this book for a while and then I, but I had not picked it up until you picked it. Mm. I, I had no idea what it was about. I had no idea that it was short stories. I didn't I, I thought well, it looks interesting. The art's very very unusual. Yeah, it's it's it is very indie. <laughs> it's, it's very it's quirky. It kind of reminded me a little bit of, and this is gonna sound really weird. It reminded me both of Shigeru Mizuki in that mm. Shigeru Mizuki draws very cartoony characters with very detailed backgrounds, and it reminded me of Yoshiharu Suge. It mm. kind of like screw style, like a lot of this. Mm-hmm. A lot of this feels like, like in Screw Style, where there's an everyman who goes through a, a series of surreal events mm. and then just kind of has to like figure out is, wait, what's going on here? Am I okay? What's, you know, I don't understand. And then there's a, it's never quite a horror book, you know, mm. but there's always a sense of wonder and feeling perplexed about things. Mm. Yeah, it's just it's whimsical, but yet not not su- not super sweet.
2: Mm. The
1: character is looks like a girl but might be a boy. And then there's these character there's this repeating characters, like this thing with this bulb on its head. A lot of it I was just reading, I'm like, I'm not sure what's going on here, but I'm just gonna mm-hmm. roll with it.
0: <laughs> mm.
1: Does that make sense?
0: <laughs> it does actually. I didn't want to interrupt because I think you touched on a couple of things that it's going to be fun when everyone listens to this and then listens to the interview as well, because it's rare that we actually get a, yes, this person was definitely influenced by this out of this episode or any of these episodes of Marcus planning. So co has some insight that I think is really good. Yeah, I think it is definitely whimsical and maybe more, more than whimsical. I found it very unsettling a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. It's that uh, has everyone seen spirited away, the Ghibli film, the Miyazaki film. Nope nope all right uh well so that should be good for chips too. okay (laughs) yep (laughs) talking to deb and david the first time i spot spirited away i it was like a genuine sense of fear for the lead character because they're entering this other this other world where nothing everything has the sheen of being understandable but nothing is exactly the way that she thinks it should be or thinks that it you know would be and so she's constantly like at a disadvantage she's like Perplexed, and you know, like these things that, like, oh, I'm going to a bathhouse. That should be a, that's a thing I've done probably you know a hundred times at this point, but it's wrong. Like everything's just a little bit off and a little bit wrong, and that's very much the feeling I got. So yeah, Deb, I agree with you there. David, what was your first impression of an invitation from a crab? So I trust your
3: taste, and I trust Ed Chavez, the top dog mm-hmm. at dinfa Publishing, formerly of Vertical. And so I was really surprised when halfway through, I was like, man, I am like really bouncing off of this one. It's not clicking. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of got it like the simple character art versus like the more not realistic, but modeled on real life Mm. environmental art. you know. And I think it wasn't until I had to pull up the table of contents, which uses Roman numerals for some reason. (laughs) The giant salamander was where it started coming around for me. And then the mm. one where they build the model pickled radish maker. Oh, you know? yeah, that was cute. <laughs> and then the perfect Sunday I thought was a really good like single chapter. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because this is sort of a more this was good like I liked it. I like that it was kind of challenging, even if it like it didn't completely land with me. But it's sort of a it's sort of a more sedate or serious type of story. Then something like Keiichi Arawai's City would be, even though you could describe them in very similar ways. Like, young girl goes to city, strange things happen, she rolls with it, and then there's like a twist ending that's like a vicious anticlimax.
1: Like yeah. that happens in both books,
3: <laughs> but the difference between this and City is that City's almost pathologically slapstick. Yeah, like every second page, every third panel is a joke, while this is sort of kind of. Builds to maybe a joke, maybe not. Maybe it's going to be heartfelt. Maybe it's just going to be like, it's over. Like this is where the story stops. So it was really interesting. And like Deb, I didn't know anything about it going in, outside of you know who recommended it. I generally like you know Co Ransom's translations and things like that. But there were fewer crabs than I expected. (laughs) (laughs) I do not recommend
4: this book if you're into
3: crabs. Lots of crab symbols, you know, the logo and all that, but (laughs) yeah, I think I was expecting something like maybe more of like a YA spirit of the way type story. Mm. I think there are elements of that. Like all the crying people was like a super effective, like creepy thing with a really dumb punchline to kind of, you know, back it up, Uh, which I thought was really good, you know, really good writing, but it's not quite my type of humor and it's not quite poignant enough. To be, like, my type of, like, this is where I go to, like, Mm. have my heart, to read heartfelt things.
0: Mm. I didn't find it heartfelt. Really? Yeah, I felt like it was... Mm. More on that in a sec. I'll let you finish your
3: thought. Uh, I forgot where I was going with it.
0: Oh, shit. I'm so sorry. <laughs>
3: going Chris. Oh, I was going to say I liked reading this in part because I think it's good comics, like good comics making interesting drawings and things like that. But also, I knew we were going to talk about it. And a lot of the fun from mm. comics for me, especially if I don't understand them or there's something I don't quite get about them, is seeing what other people think. Mm.
0: So no pressure. <laughs> yeah. I. Boy. I do want to comment on the one thing, and that is mm-hmm. that I don't feel it is heartfelt and i feel like it is disassociative in a very contemporary way the first story starts off and it has these like sort of lush overly hatched like tiny tiny hatches all over the page backgrounds and and other characters and things like that but the lead the stand standing character is drawn roughly in like pencil and an unsharpened pencil at that they mm-hmm. seem much more hollow and unreal and ghostlike than everything else that's going on they seem like they're kind of floating through this story in particular but really all of the stories these are things that happen to them and then you also think of like oh the, you're actually viewing these through this this author's point of view and that's why maybe everything seems a little strange and a little disassociated and i feel like it's alienated it's not alienating well i mean it might we haven't gotten to chip yet but it's definitely alienated it's definitely it feels like Like maybe they're grasping for emotion or feeling or or something out of these stories, but a life doesn't really provide that. And B, maybe they don't know how. I get a real sense of being disconnected from from everything in this world and it and in like the characters are not just myself, but the characters.
3: But yeah. Interesting. I actually feel the opposite of you. Really several of those points. Yeah. I feel like it's super heartfelt. Like she's always trying to help somebody or like the whole salamander thing. where They get on a boat and go to the Amazon from Japan Mm. feels like such a like kind, cartoonishly kind thing to do. Yeah.
4: But it's also, it's also a tiny thing in the context of this book because they get on a boat that just says boat and then they're there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, like it's funny. That's, that's the disconnect here. And like, I think a lot of it is revealed in the, the text pieces in between. Where it's just like this is kind of observational. Everything's observational, even if you know there is a character going through these things. There's there's that kind of detachment to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even that salamander story. Yeah, it's like that that like the, the Panpania character taking the salamander back to the Amazon is something that happens to them almost. Like it's like all right, we're giving you the salamander. All right, you've got to get it home. And like they're with someone else who's driving the story because it seems like they're incapable like they can't even quit their terrible job in the one where they are forced to quit their terrible job and saying, I'm not going to bicycle for a living is like about the strongest decision that they make in the whole, the whole book. But, but anyway, uh,
4: also everything, everything is futile. Like almost yeah. every story is about futility because a salamander wasn't even supposed to go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like she creates this Rube Goldberg machine and it turns out, Oh, it's actually Sunday. Like, yeah, <laughs> like the stories all seem to have that kind of, that kind of beat yeah. to them.
0: Yeah. Like someone who's out of step with reality, mm-hmm. but and like send spirited away. Someone who's just like completely out of step by the end. Like so, so out of step at the beginning of spirited away that she literally turns into like a phantom until she eats some of their food and is like grounded and stops floating away. So I think that there's something, yeah, that's the, that's the vibe I got, but sorry, we've, we've started talking about this book in earnest without finding out what our good friend, Chip Zdarsky actually thinks of it. Chip, what did you think? No,
4: good friend. Good friend. I thought it was delightful. Really? Yeah, yeah. It felt mm. like a kind of a, a breath of fresh air after seeing maybe you know one or two too many kind of repetitive styles. Maybe it's because I, I'm I'm wistful for late '90s, early 2000s independent press <laughs> SPX comics. <laughs> I just I just kept going. Oh, that background's very Jeffrey Brown. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, I I thought all the stories were like engaging, interesting. I never quite knew where they were going. And and funny, one of I realized afterwards, one of my markers for if I really enjoyed a book or really didn't enjoy a book is how many screen grabs I do of the pages as I go.
2: Hmm.
4: Like Hmm. I'm like, oh, I got to remember this. Oh, I got to remember this. And this probably broke the record for that. Wow. Wow. Because there were there were so many pages, which just like just like a fun sketchbook style drawing or just like a really kind of a, like a, a a humorous panel or exchange. Mm -hmm. And I just kept like gravitating towards those. Mm. Something as simple as just like the page of her smacking the coconuts open. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's so charming. It's so funny. Just the sound effect and everything just plucks. She's got this tiny
3: stick and just cracking open coconuts. The sound effects were really pleasant too. Yeah. And the yeah. subtitled sound effects too. So I think they did a good job of like matching for the most part.
4: It really, it, you know, jived with the vibe of it for sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. And, and there were a lot of like, I keep thinking of it as sketchbook drawings because this feels like I've come across somebody's sketchbook. Just mm-hmm. kind of like really detailed but rough and not quite getting the perspective of a thing, but really getting the feel of a thing. Mm-hmm. there's some beautiful panels and pages in this
3: page 192 had one that I liked a lot. Which what one was that? It was her, it was in the one where she sees all the kites while she's ah. walking around and she's kind of walking towards the camera while there's like these kind of slightly crooked houses on her, on mm. our left.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's yeah, just a really nice perspective drawing of being in a neighborhood. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah. There, there was one of her, I forget which story it was. I just had the screen grab where she's walking and she's going to go through transit gates and it's it's, the the panels from below Mm -hmm. and it's just so foreboding, (laughs) even though it's something so mundane. Like that's the thing, like the artist is clearly good at kind of taking mundane things and making them really interesting just with the the style. And, you know, I've said it before in previous uh, episodes that you can tell when somebody enjoys the act of drawing, Mm -hmm. and this person enjoys the act of drawing. You know, and, and it's deceptively simple in, in spots, or it feels rushed or whatever, but but I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's just like, oh, no, that's the drawing. That's how the drawing should be. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I found it really fascinating. And there were so many just, yeah, humorous, low key moments that made me laugh.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I found, it, I found it to be delightful. It's funny, though, the one story that I just kind of bounced off of, which was, was the first one. Yeah like that was it that was the one where i was just like oh is this book going to be all this and then it wasn't and then there's a lot more kind of humor throughout and interesting scenarios
0: yeah yeah i actually got to be honest i was closer to david when i read this the first time i'm a lot closer actually i got about halfway through and i was like oh i feel like this is really pretentious actually (laughs) (laughs) i am bouncing off of this (laughs) Super hard. And it doesn't help. Reminded me a little bit of the bouncing off of parts of St. Young Men. In between each story, especially at the beginning, there's what look like, honestly, small blog entries that are like, here's a thought I had. And it's like, just, it's always just on the verge of being profound, but it never is. (laughs) And it's just like these text pieces build a picture of the author. I think, but they don't Mm -hmm. necessarily do the collection of stories that the author is telling any favors. And I didn't like them. And I, and actually by the time I got to the end, I didn't like them, but I think it was halfway. I thought the joke of on character inventing themselves out of a job was actually kind of, kind of good. (laughs) And it wasn't until about halfway through that. I realized that like, no, there's supposed to be jokes in this. Like you're just not laughing because, Whatever you're just not in that like you're not in that space. Yeah,
4: you're uh, dead inside.
0: Yeah, maybe it's been a rough couple of years. Yeah.
4: The, the dolphin calculator alone.
0: Yeah, the dolphin that calculator was good. For, I
1: like that one. <laughs> like, this
0: feels so liquid television.
4: Such <laughs> such a, a well drawn thing as well. Yeah. yeah, like like looking at every drawing of that dolphin made me laugh.
0: The one that made me sit up and pay pay attention was the story where they go to Ginza for the pineapples. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they get out of the train station in Ginza, and it's literally Ginza, but like not Ginza. It's sort of like how Treasure Town in Tekon King Creed.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought too. But
0: not Osaka. And it's just like, oh, yeah, that one building is right, but that other giant, like, 10 pointed star is not correct. Anyway, or maybe it was in the past. Like, yeah, that that illustration and the illustrations, like the foreboding illustrations of like the characters in pencil again, of, of people seeming less real than objects in the world, I think is really where I start was like, okay, there's definitely, definitely other stuff going on here too. And it wasn't the first story I, I think I was like, oh, I actually like that like this is I got off at the wrong station.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm. Wandering, wandering yeah uh,
0: wandering wondering yeah which is again that title just puts my teeth on edge. <laughs> <But> that's,
1: <laughs> that's, that's that
4: interesting to... like how does that get translated
0: i'm sure poetically like i feel like there's a yeah. lot of poetry to this and you either get on their level and you get with their vibe or you don't and i'm i think that ko mm-hmm. is like a thousand percent on the vibe of this like this feels this like a, the translator on this one feels invisible to me i don't feel yes. anything yeah. that is like additive like i do sometimes with with other things yeah nothing feels like writing well,
1: if you look at like page 88 where's that scene where she's in on the street and she's like where am i the signs are translated to where it says no way home where is this stranded yeah. here
4: is wandering wondering also the one with the panel and that dog is on a walk by itself
3: <laughs> that's oh. also good <laughs> which is
4: so funny because it's not I think that
3: just... was her lucky day when that
4: was yeah. her lucky oh, day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That that made that's me so
4: laugh so much because it's just like that's not the observation here. The observation is the fact that the dog is walking like a human. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just like <laughs> just actually strolling <laughs> on a walk by itself.
2: Like, <laughs>
4: it's so Chris, funny. could you
3: repeat one thing from earlier? Like, or actually, could you describe the the relation of how the main character is
0: drawn versus the rest of the book again? Because I have a question sure.
3: related to it.
0: So. For the, in the beginning especially the main character is drawn it looks like in pencil like a rough pencil and then either composited onto the page but i don't think that's the case i think it's actually yeah. but they're drawn into a very scratchy ink background that looks like it's both brush and pen mm-hmm. um so it's like a really like the backgrounds have a weight have a gravity to them where the characters feel very ethereal in contrast to me i'm looking at i got off the wrong station the wandering wandering story And this one, in addition to the pencil lines, the lead character is wearing a sweater that's all done with tone. So it's like pencils, tone, and then surrounded by these heavy inks. And somehow the tone even makes them feel kind of lighter. It's yeah, it's they're doing really interesting stuff with art here. But what what did you want to ask about that?
3: Because I think partly why we see it differently or why I feel like we're opposites on this is that I just took that as a style rather than a storytelling choice. Mm. So, something like Goodnight Poon Poon, for instance, you know, uh, Poon Poon and his family are drawn in very simplistic, like cartoon mm-hmm. bird people style in a very realistic world. Like, that was for storytelling. Like, it was saying something about the character. But here, it's almost more, they're drawn that way. Several other characters are drawn that way. I think that's just how Panpania approached characters. Because mm. then there's also the Tanuki later, the uh, weird thing she hangs out with. In the wandering, wandering section. <laughs> so, mm. I think for me, rather than seeing pretension, I saw almost not the opposite, but more of a this is definitely very artful and RT. Like, I would totally buy this at Ape or something, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. But it's they worked out the pretension in their
0: work <laughs> it's, earlier. It's inconsistent, too, because in the salamander story, everyone's drawn in ink, but it looks like that's actually drawn in a different way. But the when it became sort of clear to me what was like what I felt was going on was the pineapple story, the Ginza story, mm. because in that one, Pompanya is still drawn in pencil. The, the the lead the insert character is still drawn in pencil. But when they meet the pineapple farmer, they're drawn in ink. So it actually creates a contrast. Like there's definitely an otherness between how they see themselves and their friend who's with them, and how they see this other person. Like they've mm-hmm. drawn themselves completely differently. I'm trying to find a good page for you here, but it's tough because, well, we're scrolling. Let's say page 69.
3: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) The lower left panel has the main character and also the pineapple monger, I guess. Yeah.
0: And like the pineapple person, pineapple monger, the pineapple farmer is (laughs) is drawn in like, drawn as a part of the environment. Well, oh, they're drawn as a part of their environment, whereas like even in the panel above that on page 69, the boat is drawn like a squiggle, but the the waves are given life. And like, yeah, the things that the author chooses to imbue with, like it's it didn't seem deliberate at first. It seemed like, oh, look at me, I'm ethereal, I'm floating through life. And then there's all these like weird situations and I'm set apart from them. And I don't understand. But it became it grew into something that seemed a lot more real as the story went on but i'd actually wanted to like take a step back just for a sec and ask cuz i know this isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea i think we're all coming at it from very different places what was the story that you liked the best out of this out of this this short story collection and i'll give you guys a, a second to think but for me i think it was the got off at the wrong train station one because it has the most interesting drawing to me It has the platform gates drawn with like a reverse fisheye thing going on that Chip mentioned. It has the shopping arcade that's drawn with like, it looks like it's being sort of blown out from inside. And it's got these sort of like everyday Japanese landmarks that are just treated in really different ways artistically as like the world gets more difficult for the lead character to understand. And I thought that that was actually like, that was where I was like, oh, this art is like. Actually, really, maybe very good. So that was the story that I really liked. Uh, wondering, uh, wondering.
2: Hmm, it's hard for me to choose.
4: I hadn't thought of it before, but as you were talking about the pineapple story, I was like, oh, I really like that pineapple story. <laughs> Just the idea of like trying to piece together what a pineapple
3: is <laughs> in a
4: country where they're not,
3: you know, they're not grown. It made me doubt like my knowledge of pineapples.
4: <laughs> yeah same here and the idea that like you know the the pineapple monger or whatever great marvel villain by the way pineapple monger <laughs> just like stuffing like <laughs> pineapple cubes into like pineapple purses and that's what they are telling people what pineapple is just such a funny ludicrous idea <laughs> mm. i really 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 like that one but there were, I, it was mostly just about the moments like there's so many like great moments in this. I also like the character that just like paints the duck decoys every day.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> like, it's just such a crazy idea, and then when they have the panel where the the main character is kind of looking around at all the paintings on the wall and they're just like basically the same thing with every once in a while there's an extra duck <laughs> <laughs> and the futility of art is like uh, have you gotten any better at this and, well. I get better drawn the water surface a, a little bit. Like mm. it, I don't know, it really hit me hard as an artist. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like the 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 one that made me laugh, like chuckle the most was the, definitely the dolphin calculator. <laughs> mm. I really, really, really like that one.
3: That's such an Adult Swim joke to me. Like just something <laughs> about it. Yeah, <laughs> like yep. it's Aquatine Hunger Force to a T.
4: But it's such a it's a it's a gentle, a gentle joke as well.
3: Mm.
4: like taking care of this thing and then it kind of helps out here and there and the next thing you know it's graduated university like
3: the book cover killed me in that one
4: yeah uh so much of it so funny yeah yeah
0: so yeah. Deb, david did you guys have a favorite story or is this more of a collection of moments but not favorite quality your <laughs> favorite times
1: um, i mean there are things i definitely related to like the the part where she, she's trying to make This perfect Sunday, and she's in denial at all the signs that tell her that it's really not Saturday; it's Sunday. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I felt that many
2: times. (laughs)
1: Oh, and then it's like, oh, but no, but Monday's a holiday! Yay! All of a sudden, you're happy. I think the dolphin one is probably maybe the funniest one, especially Mm -hmm. the ending where it's like, says, "Oh, here's the here's the math book I wrote," and she (laughs) says, "What's a function?" And he goes, "It's a math thing." Yeah. <laughs> oh God. See,
4: now you got me thinking about that weekend one again. Maybe that's my favorite.
1: But I mean, "Wandering Wandering" is probably the most artistically interesting one because it yeah. it does create a lot of one. It creates a sense of a nightmare of unre- unreality, mm. and a little bit of. I mean, there's there's parts of Japan that you can feel this energy, right? This slight Showa era decrepitude.
4: Mm. <laughs> yeah. Decrepitude, nice word. <laughs>
1: Or things are just kind of like uh, not not tourism worthy. It's just kind of like dusty and worn out, and just kind of kind of old. But at the mm-hmm. same time, what what comes through a lot is like in Tokyo, where you are very very rarely alone. It's a very mm-hmm. large and crowded city. It's just a little bit odd to come across a, it. It must feel really disquieting to all of a sudden be in a, in a, get in this feeling where I don't know where this is. I am all alone. I don't know mm. which, which end is up. Am I in danger? And Tokyo, when I tra- I, one reason why I like traveling around Japan is, as a woman, I feel completely safe. No mm. matter how lost I am, I feel completely safe. But this is interesting because it, this kind of felt more like when I felt lost in India. I was like, <gasps> I'm screwed.
0: <laughs> mm. It's, it's different kind of- when you don't know how to get around and you don't know what the, the local anything is mm. and it seems mm-hmm. like things don't make sense like i get that and that it was a very like it It was unsettling i think is is that one for sure
1: yeah. i've had that feeling mm. when like i've gone to like outside of tokyo like catching like i went up to nakano N- uh, mm. nagano and went mm. to the went on this off the beaten path hike trip and mm-hmm. there was like these moments where you f- you feel like I'm gonna miss my stop. <laughs> where am I? This is in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I think we we there was a little bit of that feeling. We went to that we went to the sake brewery.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Where we were and just like, like this, getting in some stranger's car who was going to drive us to where we were supposed to go. It
1: was like this, like train train station, in the middle of nowhere. It's like completely abandoned, and you're like, well, yeah. I don't know where we are.
0: Yeah, so. we're going to go to this train station at this time, and we've never been there. And We're going to walk for 15 minutes from the train station to an intersection. And there should be a restaurant there, and someone should meet us there to pick us up by car and drive us like an hour into the countryside. And you're just like, okay. De- well, I was just like, a lot of I'm putting all my faith in Deb yeah. on this one because Deb knows how to plan these things. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even, It never even occurred to me that you might be like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. But yeah, it was... Uh, I was just like, no, Deb knows what's going on. It's fine. Don't worry about it.
1: I'm glad I hide it well.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: and Deb's like, Chris knows what's going on. He's fine.
0: Yeah, no, no. I was.
1: I do want to tell you a little story, though. Oh. I, did, I did meet Panpania. Oh, at, really? Yeah.
0: Uh, at Comedia?
1: No. My friend Simona Stanziani, she's a translator. She mm-hmm. translates Japanese to Italian. Mm-hmm. She said, she called me up when I was in Japan last week. She said, hey, you want to come to this manga party? <laughs> party, and she's. It was basically the year-end party for Hakusensha. Oh. So it was like at this ho- hotel and then at this fancy buffet, and it was like I've, all the artists and editors from Young Animal, mm-hmm. Hanato Yume, mm. and you know this was just a weird mix because like you got the people who published Berserk and the people who published Fruit Basket.
3: I was going to say Young <laughs> Animal and Hanato Yume seem like opposites. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: So anyway, it was it was a very <laughs> Weird room because like half of it was the guys and half of more than half of it was the girls. Yeah. And then I, and I was like, we're mingling around, and then she she says, "Oh, this guy's a mulgar." It's like, "Oh, dude, no, oh, no kidding." He goes, "Yeah, my Pampania." It's like, <laughs> "I know you, <laughs> I know your work," <laughs> but I had not read his work before, so I couldn't say, "I love your work." I just said, "I just know your work," mm. uh. but he looks nothing mm. like the character
4: Uh, i'm Mm. so glad you didn't like pretend to know the work and and be like oh i love your book all about crabs
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then that would have made it into a story right (laughs) like there's this weird japanese girl who couldn't speak any japanese was just rambling at me
3: (laughs) just obsessed with crabs (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think it's not my favorite but the reason why i thought this was a heartfelt book was incomprehensible memories where she's remembering all the weird gifts her grandmother gave her.
2: Oh, mm. yeah. And
3: then she's like, you know, I wonder one day will I be able to understand these toys in this letter? And it's like, oh, this is like one of those books, you know? Yeah. But I think my actual favorite was definitely The Perfect Sunday. Yeah. Because so much of it was just a really good series of drawings of being outside. Others were like good jokes, like the Rube Goldberg thing. I love every time that type of, type of thing happens. Yeah. And like her industriousness and in getting it done and just the sheer like maniacal focus on making a good Sunday to the point where she's like denying Saturday. Yeah. It's like I'm gonna <laughs> like do this now and I'll save the emotions for tomorrow. Uh, I don't know. It's yeah. like this was funny and heartfelt and just really mm. well drawn and good, like well written, I suppose.
4: Yeah, mm. and it's like not that it has a deeper message, but it's like you Know it's, it's definitely a, like a live in the moment kind of story, like, yeah, exactly. You can, you can plan and you can like work a thing, but also just like, well, don't deny yourself what's happening right now,
3: yeah, yeah. Like Chris really mentioned liked. being on the same wavelength as the book, and I think this is the chapter that was the most on my like personal wavelength. Mm. Yeah. I'm actually
1: yeah. more looking forward to the second book of his that's coming out. Oh, what's yeah, the so second that's... book, Gaia Bono I didn't know about Holiday. I'm when...
0: oh, sorry, can you say it again,
1: Gaia Bono Holiday? It's, oh. it's you know, kind of like the pineapple one, right? But it's like he finds this weird fruit in Ameyokocho. He gets this can of juice, Guyabano juice. And then he decides to find out what does this fruit look like. <laughs> and then he ends up going on a trip to the Philippines.
3: Hmm. I love it. So
1: I'm all about travel manga. So I want to check
3: this yeah. out. Wow, that's, awesome. that's technically a food manga too, I think.
0: I think so. Hey, there you go. <laughs> and that's coming out in December, right? Mm-hmm. Is
2: it the same Ooh. publisher? Yep. Denpop nice
0: Publishing. One. Everyone put your pre-orders in right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I didn't know that actually when I was interviewing Ko and he mentioned, and yeah, the new one's coming up and I was just like, what? I just picked this because I wanted to pick it. I had no idea. But yeah. isn't it nice when we get to actually promote a future release instead of just talking about one <laughs> that's three years old? I'm sure Ed somewhere is like less annoyed with me now for constantly picking his old books <laughs> uh, to talk about. Does he
1: grouse about that?
0: He one of his one of the things he said on Twitter, and it might have been between Vertical and when Denpo was publishing, and it's always really stuck with me. As someone who who talks about manga, writes about manga, is so much of the future of a manga is decided in its first like in the three months before it comes out and the three months after it comes out, because pre-orders set the print run in a lot of cases. Like things get listed on Amazon like six months out, that sort of thing. So, if the pre-orders are high, the print run is higher, and if the print run is higher, it makes more money because it it's cheaper to print a book if you print more of that book. So the balance sheet looks really good. If you pre-order a book and the pre-orders are high and then it sells out, there's a greater chance it'll get a second printing or a third printing or a fourth printing. But if something doesn't have a lot of buzz before it comes out and you're like really ex- you discover it and you're really excited about it, and then you do a podcast about helter skelter. <laughs> eight years after it came out that doesn't help it doesn't help anybody like that book is already out of print now and like we didn't get any more kyoko okazaki after that in pink and it was a bummer and we might like we might at some point in the future but yeah he was just like talk about the books when they're coming like as they come out or just before try to pre-order if you can afford it like that kind of thing is super important to and, and not for everything. Like, obviously, Shonen Jump's going to come out tomorrow. As long as the sun rises, there'll be another Shonen Jump. Like, no offense, but like, it's not, no one's stopping that. But these edge cases, these like indie manga from smaller publishers, both smaller publishers in Japan and in, in North America, I think anything you can do to support them, if it's something that you, if you want to support, is really huge. Like, really, really huge, actually. Shout out to the small pubs.
4: I do like that you created our new tagline for Manga spaming. Mongous planning. It doesn't help anyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, only the only the eight-year-old books don't help anyone. Yeah. <laughs> we we were a part of the wave, the way of the house husband wave. We were a part of that. So that yeah. was really good. Yeah, let's let's maybe get a few final thoughts. David, I actually am maybe more convinced by your reading than mine as we as we end here. I do feel that the author still feels very disconnected from japanese society from the society in which they live mm-hmm. but at the same time i feel like they're trying to make a connection like there are these heartfelt moments that are really real and not pointless <laughs> like chip pointed out
3: there so is yeah, I think a, maybe just an, an a essay called futile. disconnect
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah i think you've convinced me to a degree did you have any final thoughts on the book
3: yeah even though this wasn't 100 like i wasn't all in on this one it was to- definitely the kind of book that convinces me to get the next book that this author is
0: going to do mm, yeah
3: and really like if you like this i really have to recommend roe's city which is kind of this in, i don't know like 120x
0: fast forward <laughs>
3: <Okay>.
2: <laughs> all right
3: yeah
0: you've mentioned that a couple times i'm surprised you haven't recommended it yet to be honest
3: uh i like it too much and explaining jokes is never fun <laughs> fair, fair enough. Oh,
1: give us some credit. We'll get Come the on. jokes, don't you think?
3: <laughs> Y'all are going to regret this so much when I assign twelve volumes for the podcast. No,
4: <laughs> so uh, this was supposed to be funny,
0: David. <laughs> <laughs> Deb, any final thoughts?
1: I mean, I'm glad I got to read it. It's, I think, indie manga doesn't really get a lot of play, and it's nice to see that it it, it it's out there. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's very quirky. Mm. I feel like to, like if like if like what Dave was saying is like if you if you like this but you want something a little bit more funny than Yugo City, I would say if you like this but you want it to be more dark and serious, go read Tsuge. Drown and Quarterly yeah. has like two or three volumes and they're gonna publish all of Yoshihara Suge's work over the next couple of years. He's a mm. really fascinating creator and captures kind of some of that alienation and of old Japan as well as mm just these really haunting and disturbing stories that are just about, and not disturbing in the way that it's horrific, but disturbing in the way that what it reveals about the human condition. I think Panpana's work will make sense more if you read Tsuke's work, because um, he's mm. kind of like the, like the godfather of all this stuff. Mm, but you know, this is
2: fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chipper, any final thoughts?
4: I, I really love it. I thought it was delightful and, multi-layered and fun and well-drawn and yeah yeah it's great i i, I do genuinely feel like if you have a uh, love of kind of like north american indie comic scene stuff that you should check this out absolutely. absolutely yeah
0: my final thought is that the drawing of the carp streamers on page 142 has stayed with me now for weeks after reading this book can't get that image out of my head. It's not even like mm. technically the best drawing in the book, but it's really, really good in the context of this like scary ghost type story. carp streamers. I'll put it in the show notes.
1: And that yeah, that look at her face right below it is very yeah so good scary. So good. Mm, so good. The
0: sketchy
3: sweating. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Love that there's effect. Something,
4: there, there's something on every page that's interesting. Like in terms mm. of in terms of the types of drawing, the, the style. Panels, like, yeah, objects. Like, yeah, this is well worth a read, I think.
3: Actually, the punchline to that story was really good, too. <laughs> like the final uh, panel where it's like the mountain pass never existed or whatever.
0: Yeah, the village never existed on the mountain pass. Yeah. Dun dun dun. dun, dun, dun. It was a good one. Uh, this has been An Invitation from a Crab by Pompanya, published by Denpa Publishing. Available now wherever delightful books are sold. We'll be right back after the break with a special interview with Co. Ransom.
1: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for 4 dollars each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download
0: the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining. Listen to me, an occasional feature on the Manga Splaining podcast, where we talk to people that have extra knowledge, let's say, specialists- about the manga that we're discussing. Uh, As you know, because you've already listened to it, this week we talked about Panpania and their first English language graphic novel release, An Invitation from a Crab. And we are here today with the translator, and maybe more, of uh, Invitation from a Crab, Ko Ransom. Ko, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Happy to have you on board. First up, I know you'll do a better job at this than I will. Can you maybe just give a brief introduction to the to our listeners?
5: Oh, sure. Uh, to of myself, correct?
0: Yeah, of, of yeah. yourself, of yeah. yourself.
5: <laughs> yeah, my name's Co uh, Ransom. I'm a professional translator. I've been at this for uh, around a decade now. I mostly work on manga, video games, and a little bit of other stuff here and there.
0: What are some of the titles that you've translated besides Invitation from a Crab that some of our listeners might know?
5: So uh, some of the bigger ones I was working on Attack on Titan, starting with Volume 8. And oh, wow. Which just wrapped up. I did I oh, <laughs> Thank you. It was, it was a lot of work. <laughs> I worked on Prison School for Yen Press. And in terms of pros, I actually, and the manga as well, I've been working on the Monogatari series for Vertical.
0: So these are big fan favorite sort of mainstream tent pool temple type series and panpanya and invitation from a crab is from a very different place it feels like Mm. it must have been a really different experience for you
5: uh yeah in terms of the work itself i guess it it is a lot more minor than some of the other titles that i've worked on but in terms of a manga that i read is actually much closer to my own wheelhouse
0: like your own personal tastes
5: uh correct yeah
0: so when so yeah, when did you discover Panpania's work? Was it at Comic Kit? Did you know about them before they had their like big release?
5: So yeah, I was uh I was going through it trying to f- pin down the date, and I think it was around the summer of twenty ten
1: at oh, a wow. Yeah.
5: And which incidentally, I think I met Deb there. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's uh, pretty when, fun. During a Pop Japan travel thing, but because she was there for that. But yeah, it was just Really looking around, Comitia is a little bit different from Comic Cat, where it's all doujinshi, but it's um, everything's original. There's no kind of parody works of other titles. There's no like fan work. So I was just browsing around, and I happened to pick up a book that interested me, and I started buying... Uh, at that time, they were in a uh, anthology that okay. a couple of other authors who have gone on to become somewhat somewhat well-known as well are in. What was the name of that one? So the name of the group was called SF Kenkyukai, which is kind of translates to kind of a generic, like, science fiction, like, research group. Okay. And their titles didn't really have anything to do with science fiction. But, yeah, from there, basically, I just, you know, I like to go to a comedia a lot. I haven't been able to go as much recently, but back then I went almost every time and always made sure to try to go to Pompano's booth first.
0: Hmm, so that was so that's a big deal. I think we've talked a little bit about Comiquet and Comitia on the podcast. We covered BL Metamorphosis, which mm-hmm. actually sort of dug into going to doujinshi events and things like that and looking at doujinshi as like a way to sort of break into the industry and tell your own story. So, you know, readers even like not hardcore readers might be a little bit familiar with that but yeah Mm -hmm. comitia is actually my favorite i like it better than comic just because there's i mean we've exhibited like i've exhibited it so many times david who's on the podcast deb has been to it i think even i brought chip to it maybe even once so yeah it's it's something that that people know and that's actually why i wanted to talk to you specifically about this not that it's not nice to just you know chat with you but (laughs) This work, this type of work, like really independently published dojinshi, that doesn't really change from being in dojinshi to being now that Pompanya is a professional cartoonist, is not really the narrative that we get about how Japanese manga publishing works. We get this narrative that you're like, you go to dojinshi so that editors at magazines will notice you, so you could work, you know, in Shonen Jump or Afternoon or like one of the big magazines that that puts out the hits or whatever. And Pampanya's work seems really a lot more personal, a lot more poetic, and it doesn't seem to have changed that much from being doujinshi to now being serialized in these these magazines and coming out with these collected editions. But you might have better insight there. How, do, you, do you feel like their work has changed since you first discovered them in 2010?
5: Not a whole lot, really. I think, well, especially with a lot of the early volumes, there are a lot of collected doujinshi in here, mm-hmm. in part. Like, it's very nice because some of the old dajenshi have kind of ridiculous resale prices, like 10 times, <laughs> 20 times, which they used to sell for. Hmm. But, yeah, I I want to say, actually, when Pampanya first got picked up by a publisher, it was, I think, in English, it goes by, like, January and July, the name of yeah, the Yeah, something like that.
0: It's like a small, small publisher that also does weird anime stuff, right?
5: Yeah, and it was a more kind of BL-focused Ah. book they're putting out and i think they went from there to Hakusensha now Mm -hmm. but i can't say that like they've they've changed all too much the art style has changed a little bit over the years but that's like maybe the main thing
0: Mm. it's funny that you mentioned that they're at Hakusensha now because i actually went and checked out the hakusansha online magazine which is called rakuen where their work runs and it's like it's like a women's manga not like kind of jose seen in like general women's manga kind of stuff and it literally looks just like commercial jose commercial <laughs> shojo almost and mm-hmm. so you get all these like pages of like you know just women characters beautiful big eyes, like the whole thing everything you think of when you think of like manga for women and girls and then panpanya is like weird little scribbly self <laughs> self-contained <laughs> like self self-character in the middle of this like huge spread and i'll put these in the show notes so folks can see what i'm saying but it's like it just seems crazy to me that this that this artist that started out as this like super idiosyncratic, very personal art style and very personal stories has turned into someone that's made a career in mainstream manga. I wonder, like do you do, does like I don't know that there's a question here other than just befuddlement. and I was wondering if you had any thoughts about <laughs> that as well, yeah i'm I'm not
5: too sure about if there's any sort of like inherent demographic overlap or anything, but I think you know, as I was going to Pampagna's booth over, you know, successive comedias, you would see like the line get bigger and bigger and bigger. And mm. it did seem like, you know, there was something very, you know, a lot of people almost instantly recognized just how bit of a creator they are, mm. which, and being at Comedia, that probably would naturally attract the eyes of some editors. Uh, maybe you've talked about it before, but, you know, a lot of editorial departments are set up at Comedia and in part just doing, like, taking walk-ins, but I assume they also look around the floor as well?
0: Yeah, when they have time. Some of the editors that I know through, you know, TCAF work and other stuff would say, oh, I'm going to go to try and get to Comedia today. So, like, they would actually say that because they were going to try and drop by my booth just to say hi, which mm. is, like, really mm. nice of them when they're, like, coming to a comics event on their half a day off they probably get, <laughs> you know, as, com- as manga editors. Yeah. And, yeah, scouting the floor to see if there was anything interesting. So, yeah, it's it's it was a delight when I got when I sort of discovered this work after like honestly after it had been translated and it was because you know I was excited about it because you had talked it up to me I don't know if you remember <laughs> uh-huh. but you know sort of after it had been announced or licensed you were like oh my goodness that you know I'm so excited about this one did, I mean did you want Panpanio to be translated in English was that a concern of yours when you were buying their their doujinshi was it something that you considered
5: um not it wasn't really at the top of my mind I mm. guess Especially just in terms of there are those questions of like commercial viability in America and but you know 2010 was a very different place in terms of the market than yeah twenty twenty one yeah, and there are people who were also kind of picking up some of the shorter stories and putting them online in English as well, and I think hmm. that might have made a little bit of an audience, so
0: I'm that not makes sure. Sense. So wait, was it you then? Like I think we talked about this, but again, I think we were having beers, maybe, and it was also <laughs> two and a half to three years ago. Was it you that introduced Denpas' publisher Ed Chavez, to Pampanga's work?
5: I'm not sure if I would be the first, but I'm sure I talked to Ziroff about them. So yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And like, and then obviously it got it. it sort of came to. I mean, I, I would assume that if Ed knew how much you liked pompanya's work, that he would come to you first and be like, do you want to translate this? But I mean, was there any kind of campaigning involved to make sure that you got the the translation job for that one? Not really. I, I generally don't do that unless it's, yeah, I actually
5: rarely campaign. I just want to see, you know, good work get put out.
0: Mm. Well, I'm glad that you got to do it. Cause I knew what such a fan, you know, you were of it, hmm. but was, I, but reading invitation from a crab, the big thing for me is that it's clear that the author is like, not overly concerned with traditional narrative i guess is a way to put it Hmm. i feel like some of the stories especially in imitation from a crab and i don't know i I assume this carries throughout the rest of their work they are like often barely stories like they're occasionally poetic they're short sketches sometimes one pages they're jokes they're myths they're dreams they're memories i can only imagine like i would feel like that would make it difficult to translate because it's so ethereal so much of the time did you find that with the work or was it just you know Another day in the translation minds for you.
5: (laughs) I don't know. Maybe my familiarity with so much of the work helped a lot because as Mm -hmm. you said, there is a lot of like this kind of like this overall mood in Mm -hmm. the different stories. So, yeah, I guess that helped a lot with kind of, you know, word choice and phrasing and the overall English mood of it.
0: I feel like if this was coming out now and I was marketing this book, I would describe Panpania as a vibe rather than as Mm, a manga graphic or a graphic novel. Like Uh you're just kind of in their space and you know, I we're recording this interview, even though it's going to run later in the episode, it's before I've had a chance to talk to any of the other hosts to see what Mm -hmm. they thought of uh, (laughs) this volume. Uh, But I could see like, bouncing off this super hard or i could see this being your favorite manga of Mm. all time (laughs) and i i feel like there's not a lot of middle ground for that and like clearly you love it but like was that something that you were aware of that like are you did mm, when you were translating it did you try and localize it in any way to make it more appealing to a north american demographic
5: um not particularly and i i think it's kind of you know, the, the, a lot of the art kind of speaks for itself as well, and the overall structure of the stories. So I guess for me personally, like one of the things that I love most about their work is a lot of the short ones mm. is, you know, kind of like a really good short story. They, uh, the endings are always like, they really hit hard. Mm-hmm. Or, like they, they might like leave you with a very strong, like, like I guess a strong emotional response, maybe not in one direction or another, but it just kind of like sits with
0: you. Yeah.
5: So I want to, I guess that might have been something that I was especially aware of.
0: I want to talk about the art a little bit because that's the Mm -hmm. thing that I find myself really sort of reflecting on and thinking a lot about. Like, it's clear, like, you pick up this volume and just a couple pages in, it's clear that the artist is not working in sort of a finalized sharp ink style, you know what I mean, with like zip tones or digital zip tones or whatever. I think I counted, you know, ink and screen tone, but also a little bit of digital work. And then traditional. there's pencil, there's watercolor, there's marker, and there might even be like, there's photography in the end papers and things like that. Hmm. You know, is, is that, it's always weird because it's something that immediately sets itself apart from like 99% of manga that's published. Like manga is just this, like kind of means just one thing in North America. And then you get something that is clearly manga, but also often its own little world. Is that something that made it attractive for you? Is that something that you you really considered when you were translating as well, that there's all these different parts to it, I guess?
5: Mm. In terms of the art, I mean, it is kind of an art style that I'm pretty fond of. Like I'm a huge sucker for you know cross hatching everywhere mm. in terms of i guess the variety of materials and how it kind of came out in the translation i mean i that's a bit of a hard thing to kind of you know consciously put into a translation i suppose but mm. there is always this kind of even in the um, some of the dojinshi that they put out there's a very handcrafted feel to it some of them yeah. are like handbound and that is partially why they're so expensive now but you know just even the materials the books some of the uh, original documents came in are very you know kind
0: of rough and idiosyncratic mhm even this this volume noticing i guess the, the the lead character is talking to the painter about the ducks and how like the ducks are all done in in a painterly style in a way that isn't trying to draw attention to itself i feel a lot of i feel a lot of comics when they're when they're doing mixed media start to become about the mixed media rather than sort of serving the storytelling. And I don't get that sense a lot of the time from mm. Campania's work, which is really interesting. I would love to see those original doujinshi too, because work that's reproducible is often very, very different than work that is handcrafted and whatnot. So mm-hmm. Not everything photocopies or scans well, you know?
5: Mm, yeah. There's a little two-page spread at the very end of the English version mm-hmm. that says promotional book cover in the bottom right. Okay. And that is actually... I think when Invitation from a Crab first came out in Japan, at one of Pampagna's last uh, Comedia appearances, they were doing kind of of brown paper book covers that they were giving away, and they were signing copies as well. So I managed to get one of those, and I sent it over to Ed when he was asking (laughs) about bonuses. And that's why it got added to the book. And I think also if you buy it at conventions, you can sometimes get kind of like an english reproduction of it
0: oh wow okay i've got the digital edition of it actually not the digital edition but a review copy for panpagna's invitation from crab has been provided by denpa publishing for review that book cover is at the back with the sort of crab and panpagna sitting on the couch and it's really cool and so they're actually reproducing that at, at comic events sometimes that's actually really neat i believe so yeah Oh, very cool! But I would love to know: Is there other manga? Are there other mangaka that you feel have a similar vibe to Pampanya that that fans that really dig this might want to want to want to search out, either in Japanese or in English? If you know,
5: sure. The I mean, one author that I'll always bring up, but this is partially because I think about this author too much as well is Tsuki Yoshiharu. Um, but especially his you know his work in the sixties and seventies, mm. which you know, thanks to Ryan Holmberg, and is a lot of that's becoming much more available in America, which is you know wonderful.
0: Tsuge, by the way, is currently being published by Drawn Quarterly and New York Review of Books, putting mm. out mm-hmm. that period of material in uh, really nice hardcovers, or, or some of them are hardcovers, some of them are softcovers, and that's available in French and things as well for our international listeners. Definitely check it out. Yeah,
5: and in terms of, I guess there are a lot of kind of common or like points of connection in glacier bay's glaliola mm. anthology which i know is fairly limited print run. you know a lot of people who are originally from dojinshi themselves or other very like super indie backgrounds
0: and a lot of shorter works that are all really good we haven't really talked a lot about alternative manga on the podcast this is kind of our first official official alternative manga but we have sort of veered to the edge let's say (laughs) of uh, the alternative end of of commercial comics and it really is like a pretty big jump in a leap. And I think that's really interesting. So I think maybe at the end of this episode, we'll put some links to not only Glaliola. Glaliola 1 is sold out, but Glaliola 2 is still available from Glacier Bay as well as a bunch of other shorts. But there is some other really interesting work coming out from small publishers that if you liked this, I'll put some links at the bottom at the the end of the show notes as well. Yeah, that's great. That's a great recommendation.
5: Oh, and one more, if you don't mind. Go ahead, go ahead. Obviously, there's Giovanni Holiday coming out but also by Pampanya from Denpa pretty soon. So there's more on the way. Sorry, I didn't know that there was a second Pampanya book
0: coming out. Oh, yeah. It's a long form travelogue. Oh, wow. Uh, I love, I love travelogues in comics form. And it's coming in December from Denpa. That's awesome. And you translated that one as well? Yes, I did. Oh, very good. I'm I'm excited. I, I'm actually, I had no idea that was coming. Oh, yeah. And so now there's like, we just finished this and we're going to get a second. We're going to get another book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I want to actually just talk about the Japanese-ness of this book. Mm-hmm. The work to me has a feeling of being in a dimension that is maybe just shifted two or three steps away from our own. And I started the book thinking of it as fantasy as like magical realism as whatever until she gets on like a real, train line or 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 stops at a real Mm -hmm. train station or sees jr you know japan railway signs in the background sometimes little numb like names and things like that like my friend lives at yoga station which she gets off at for this is hell Mm -hmm. i mean that area seems nice (laughs) i don't know why it would be helpful for them (laughs) but what what do you think of these settings like even even by the end with the carp streamer story The author makes pains at the beginning of that, that story to say, this one really just happened, Mm -hmm. which retroactively kind of unsettles the previous stories that are in the book. But I feel like it's all at least informed by their life and their, their wanderings and their musings and things like that. I don't like, but I, but it's also so far removed in some ways that it's difficult. Like, is this Japan, is this meant to be like, is this meant to evoke contemporary Japan? Is it meant to be somewhere else? What do you think?
5: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it does feel like a contemporary Japan, but in the parts that are kind of on the edges, mm. kind of like just maybe East Tokyo, right? As you're starting to kind of get away from the city where everything's a little old, a lot of things are shut down. Mm. I think they even wrote a little essay manga about like the various soft serve ice creams you can get around where it, Tokyo Sky Tree. Which oh, wow. is, okay. used to be a very old, old neighborhood until they just kind of plopped the giant sky tree down there. So that's also a weird neighborhood if you kind of, you know, get out about just ten minutes. Mm. And that's kind of what a lot of the work evokes for me the most.
0: That's the that's like the old Edo, right? Like that's where the city center used to be, right around the water there. Mm-hmm yeah and I feel like you can really feel the age of of everything in their work, yeah, but I don't get a sense of i don't get a sense of new Tokyo of like you know Shinjuku, Shijukubukoro Shibuya, that side of things almost at all yeah definitely It feels very different, i guess mm-hmm. I do think that it's interesting uh, well, so for example another another example is they go to Ginza and Ginza mm. is like. An emotional idea of Ginza rather than a real place but also Ginza is a real place like we've both been mm-hmm. <laughs> so I find I find it really interesting I don't I don't know how someone and I guess I will know by the time this comes out because we'll have just talked about it how someone from not Japan registers these ideas of place and time and of how people interact and how some people are just you know animals or or, <laughs> or or whatnot i do you have any insight there that you want to add like is this is there a tradition of this in in manga and doujinshi that like we're not aware of or something just to to illuminate it for i think readers who might be confused by you know some folks are yokai <laughs> for example
5: oh uh, yeah i'm not even sure if there's too much of a history of this behind it but yeah it was more of just kind of like a, a mood or a vibe to me i guess <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go okay well, that is awesome, and I really appreciate you offering this sort of insight into Pampania, into Invitation from a Crab. I think it is a book that sort of opens up a whole new world of manga for people that have been following the podcast, and that's why I actually really wanted to talk to you to just like let people know that there was more out there, and hopefully we'll be able to cover it if Chip lets us pick it <laughs> in the future. <laughs> so, anything you would like to add? At where where can people can find you online, or anything like that? Or are you uh, are you good being a, a digital nomad?
5: Yeah, mostly you can find me on Twitter posting nonsense at k ransom was taken. <laughs> I guess the other thing I wanted to say is I also wanted to shout out Nicole, who was the producer and letter on this. I think mm. she did a really great job.
0: Personally, I think the book looks great. So I'm so yeah. Shout out to Nicole and shout out to sorry. There's like a whole credits. We'll 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 shout them at the beginning episode. I promise. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. Well, Co. thanks so much for spending some time with us today. I really appreciate it.
5: Yeah, thanks again for having me.
0: And we're back. Once again, we'd like to thank Co Ransom for agreeing to do that interview with us. Hopefully it enlightened as much as it educated y'all listening as much as it did me. We are here with Q&As actually. We have a bit of a a small a small Q but maybe have some big A's in on this one. <laughs>
3: Wait a minute. I think you have to do that again.
0: (laughs) Mark this podcast explicit. (laughs) Question comes in email from Eric Schuster. Eric writes, Anecdotes about mangaka working insane schedules are common, but in light of seeing Shibashi Hiroshi's insane schedule and reading those depressing excerpts from Kaoroshi Miura's diary, I'm curious, is the profession considered especially masochistic within Japanese culture? Is it considered a lucrative career? It seems like there's more room for artists to have success just because the industry is larger. But I'd value some insights from people who know more about both Japanese culture and their comics industry. And I wanted to ask this one because we haven't we haven't tackled Berserk yet. I know a lot of people are asking us to read it, and it's just like you know, doing a Berserk episode just after the mangaka passes away seems not cool. So maybe we'll get to it at some point in the future. But the underlying episodes, the underlying things that people are curious about there is like the overwork culture in manga and. I don't know that I'm necessarily any of us are necessarily the experts to talk about overwork culture in Japan in general. There are lots of articles written about that online. But within the manga industry, I think I think we could definitely open up this question. So yeah, is being a manga considered a lucrative career? And is it considered especially masochit in Japanese culture? Did you guys have any thoughts?
3: I can't comment on the Japanese culture part, but I feel like yeah. any job that makes you work like 150 hours a week is masochistic by definition you know yeah (laughs) Yeah. ouch (laughs) like you know i'm sure like many people are probably well compensated but that's probably like the very tip top of the pecking order for lack of a better lack of a better phrase Mm -hmm. but i think anything that like requires you to break your body and like mess up your relationships just by virtue of doing the work and that not being kind of a guaranteed living wage is it could use work let's say yeah (laughs)
4: is is there anything in like is that i know you said you can't speak to the japanese culture part of it but does it feel like it's prevalent in japanese culture like not just in manga to like devote your mind and body to a thing to a point where it might be unhealthy
0: the thing that people throw out when they write articles about this is Japan has a word, Japanese language has a word for death by overworking, karoshi. and it's called karoshi. <laughs> uh, and it's a word that, you know, like if that word has to exist, you know, there's a chance that there might be something there, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I look at it, you know, I'm, I'm someone who devoted way too much time to the work that I was doing for a long time. And I eventually broke, like I, I just broke, it was bad. And I, you know, had to, I took the last year off basically uh, trying to put that together but no one forced me to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I forced me to do that. I forced me to like work and work and work and contribute to something that meant a lot to me. And I feel like manga does the same thing. It's comics, man. Like I think anyone who works in comics in any kind of facility of comics, any part of comics, knows that you can literally devote unlimited time. Like you can just keep working on your comics. All the time and and that's any any level like i did social media for a long time and there's never an end to the number of twitter posts you can make or prepping you know social media posts on instagram or whatever there's never an end to any of it you can just work indefinitely and i think the maybe the only difference that i see between manga and north american comics is manga romanticizes that journey there are ma- so many manga that romanticize being <clears> a mangaka <throat> i think the biggest one is probably Bakuman. That was the most popular. It had the widest range. It had an anime adaptation. It's about two guys that like, you know, want to break into Shonen Jump so bad that like one of them works himself into the hospital, for example, but he gets out and then they then they get number one. So it's okay. Right. (laughs) So I think that there's like, there's definitely a culture. There's an expectation that you're going to work very, very hard if you go into manga. And it's something that a lot of people do, but it's also something a lot of people opt out of as well at certain points in their career.
1: But that's true of, all, of a lot of, of comics in general, right? I mean, there aren't that many. It's, I often hear people talk about comics, both American, French, Japanese, as a young person's game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Where you have, you have the energy and the, you have the energy and the will and the basically the bounce back
2: <laughs> to, yeah. do, to do a bunch
1: of all nighters and you have like this burning drive to do it. And you also maybe have a little less responsibilities, right? Mm. So it's something that you can, you can go chase that dream. I think the part that is hard is like when you get older and you haven't, you're not one of those top artists and you can't afford to get assistance and your work is considered old fashioned or not hip anymore. Mm. That's pretty depressing, I think. And I, I feel like sometimes with manga is a little bit like the NBA. You know, like everybody wants to be a top star. Mm. Very few are multimillionaire level top stars. Yeah. Uh, there are there are people who make it to the pros and they get they get to play on the court, mm-hmm. but they're not superstars. But that's still a level that a lot of people will never reach.
4: Yeah, it's like the NBA. If there was the NBA and then a league just below the NBA that was five hundred times bigger. Mm. (laughs) with 500 times more players that were all earning just enough to get by for those limited years you can play basketball. Mm -hmm. That's how comics feels.
2: Wow. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God.
3: The basketball comparison is really good because like we just had the Olympics and like NBA finals and stuff and old in basketball, like once you're 35, you're over the hill. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like Mm -hmm. your knees are bad, this and that. And it sometimes feels... People talk about comics the same way. Like, if you don't get in in your 20s, like, you're super screwed. But hopefully, that's not necessarily true.
4: I mean, but people also all throw out the fact that Jack Kirby didn't draw Fantastic Force. He won until he was like 40 or something.
3: Yeah. Yes, like, like there's, I, it's-
4: I mean, it's the exception that proves the rule because I don't think there's a lot of that happening these days. It depends on your style as well. And what's expected of a comic artist now seems to be a lot more than it was in the 50s and 60s. I've I said it before on this podcast that drawing comics is literally the hardest art job I can imagine. Mm-hmm, yeah. Having done a bunch of different art jobs before I did comics. Like It's a combination of every art skill that you pick up from everywhere else. And you have to do it as quickly as possible. And on get second guessed a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a ludicrous idea to 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 think you can make a living as a comic book artist. <laughs> yeah, I don't and, think it's as uh, bad
1: as people think. I don't think it's as bad as people think it is for in Japan. Like I think we we tend to look at what Tezuka went through, and we tend to look at those the stories of the people just like frantic and trying to crank out on a weekly schedule but a lot of i don't think a lot of manga artists do weekly manga Hmm. yeah there
0: are fewer weekly magazines than there used to be for sure but that just means there's less opportunity to get paid every week you know what i mean but i think hmm, i know that there are people so i got i got a couple anecdotes one Mm -hmm. i met somebody who was who didn't want to break in who was an assistant and they didn't want to break in because being an assistant. You just did less work. You all like no matter what, you did less work. Yeah. So you got a consistent paycheck. It didn't matter how well your manga sold, which means you didn't you maybe get like a year end bonus, but you always had like if you were really good at drawing a specific thing, like a back like a kind of background or inking or you know, spotting blacks or laying down tone, you'd always have work and the work would always be the same. It'd be in your wheelhouse. So it's like almost like a factory job, you know, with with some lovely artistic flourishes. You could you could clock in and clock out and, and go home and then have time off. Tatsumi sensei who did a push a band of the old in Tokyo and the push man and things like that was told by his doctors to stop drawing because he was ill and he couldn't, he literally couldn't. He had his wife bring him a board and paper in the hospital and was drawing in the hospital before he passed away because drawing was so important to him. Uh, hunched over with back problems. Kishimoto sensei who did Naruto, I interviewed him about the end of it and he's like, he bought his studio. This is funny. His, studio where he has all his assistance and things like that was in the same building as his apartment with his wow. wife and his two kids so that his wife and his two kids could come up and talk to him if they needed to for something because he would have to be in the studio for like 15 hours 16 hours and he just figured out how to make this insane schedule work where he could still have proximity to his kids but he was happy to give that up when Naruto's serialization ended and i think he moved to a much more you know he hit the the jackpot and could really pull back and work at a different kind of pace with Boruto and as the writer, and then the, the movies and the novels and things like that. And finally, there's a book coming out that I got to edit, and it's called Akira Art of Wall. I think I might have mentioned it. Oh, yeah. At mm-hmm. the Akira Volume 2 episode. Very and, smooth uh, there's a thing in there where Tomo is just like, <laughs> yeah, pimping, pimping the book. <laughs> David, I don't know why you don't pimp more of your books on here. Everyone go buy this $250 <laughs> book that I edited.
1: Wait, is that how much it costs?
0: Is, it is gorgeous. It is worth every penny. I'm not even uh, lying. It I'm sorry. So I, can, I can't
4: afford it. I'm a comic book
0: artist. It's 22 by 30. It's like huge. It's like 11 by 17. And it's like a never ending scroll of artwork. <gasps> it's, it's really pretty. But beyond that, there's an interview in there. And it's almost like, yeah, I never did any long series after Akira. I didn't want to draw manga that way. I'll draw stuff every once in a while. And it's for fun. But like having a deadline like that sucked. I never want that. All those old guys that and he was very matter of fact, he's like all those old guys that were like, oh, I'm putting out 500 pages a month or 600 pages a month, 700 a month.'" They're dead. They died early. Who wants that? I don't want that. And like, it's a good interview. It's really wide ranging about Tomo's life and his career or whatever. But you like, oh, there's a generation of people that like maybe get it. I know Matsumoto sensei, who's become a friend, Tao Matsumoto, has slowed down a lot as he's gotten older. He doesn't want to do a weekly series anymore and work with 10 assistants and crack it out. Dude's in his like late 40s, early 50s maybe now. He maybe just wants to like draw things that matter to him and he can. And that's the other nice thing. You can get to do that if you get to a certain point. So, yeah, I think I think there's lots of different ways to approach this idea of working in comics, but the way that is like the way, the way that is like shown and like the path that exists is really tough and everyone goes into it knowing that. No one gets into manga and is like, "Oh, I didn't think it would be this hard." Like everyone it is drilled into you that it's going to be a brutal mercenary slog, and maybe the reward is you get to tell stories that are important to you
4: you in know a, in a, yeah, you know personal not anecdote, but i've I've recently come to the decision that I'm done in two years' time, like I've mapped out wow. how I'm going to get out of doing the monthly comics uh because I recognize it's killing me mm. my blood pressure's high and I've got various health issues and I'm just like, gee, I wonder if it is the twelve hour <laughs> workdays every day, including the weekends. Yeah. And so mm. like I've got commitments, I'm just like like what am I doing? I am I'm, I'm, I'm my, my big question for myself is like what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Mm. And I can entertain people doing Spider Man comics and that's fine. And hey maybe I'll renege on this and that's what I'll end up doing or I can just do stuff that is personal to me and maybe some people like it, maybe some people don't. And if I can get to a point where I just need to make enough money to kind of like cover my groceries and stuff, like my, my, my loving partner is going to have to understand that that's all I'm going to be able to pull in because mm. yeah. Cause sorry, I chose a career in comics and uh, I've killed my body and that's that. Sorry.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so I that kind it. of Sustainability is really important. I think. Like, it always sounds yeah. sad to say, like, set your expectations. It's like, oh, you know, don't aim for the very top. Aim for, like, the middle. But, like, the middle is kind of where most of us land anyway, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you can make a very nice life, like, if you're just like, look, I don't necessarily want a Porsche. I just want a car I can be proud of. And you can find something that works for your budget and your lifestyle. And if you don't want to draw and write monthly comics, you can you know, switch to graphic novels or web comics or something like that. Like, there's always options. It's just yeah. those options might not have the same, you know, pros or cons as like big two work or like Shonen Jump or something like that.
4: Yeah, and it's funny. The Porsche thing also is like, for the most part, people that get the Porsche do it because they want the status symbol of it. It's not because, mm-hmm. oh, no, I just read I need a car that's a lot better than my current car, so I'm going to get a Porsche. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like, that's the thing I think a lot of artists here and abroad probably wrestle with too which is like the ego behind it all and like what they want to show the world and like i know Mm -hmm. comic creators just get like furious to be number two in the charts on a week any given week Mm -hmm. but that's part of it that's part of what drives them to be like the best Ah. they can be but i'm like well that's also a miserable existence like why would you want to do that
1: those charts are so arbitrary too
4: (laughs) It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Somebody finds out somebody's making more money than them, has a better gig than them. You know, has uh, the top-selling comic of the month. Like, there, there are just people that like are just driven by competition, jealousy, and ego,
3: and they're killing you can themselves. Say Michael Jordan. We we all know we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that's, that happens in Japan too. That happens in the manga. Absolutely, like to bring it back this question absolutely it's like yeah there are people push themselves for sure yeah people push themselves for sure in a way like, they to, but they like, want they want the brass ring right
4: like david you're a charles schultz fan as well yeah. right like yeah. the stories of him and jim davis like charles schultz like losing his mind that jim davis like got like it like sounds Garfield so endorsement character material. It does, cause, you know, especially yeah. based on the public appearance and the work and the the tone of the work. But there's an insecurity in the work too that you can see that must exist within the creator. Mm-hmm. And like just the, the idea, you just picture like Charles Schultz being like, "God damn, Jim Davis got that deal for like <laughs> Garfield Doritos or whatever." Like that's really, really funny to me, and also just like wow, at every level, it, yeah. it hits you.
0: I will say the one thing I maybe didn't we didn't answer here is that there is a mid range, there is a mid level as a mangaka that you can hit and have a have a living wage. And I feel like that level, where you have to get in North American comics, is a lot higher to get that living wage and to get that ongoing living wage than it is in Japan. Like you can have a mid range serial or three or four different serials over the course of your career, and still make still make a life for yourself. Mm -hmm. You're not going to live that like ego. You know, I'm buying a new McLaren. You know, YouTube family lifestyle shit, but you're not also like struggling either, and that's the other sin of Bakuman. I'm go- just going in on Bakuman this week, but like it starts off by saying, "Oh, my uncle had like a hit series, and he had toys, and he had whatever and whatever, and then he died penniless and broke." And it's like that has nothing to do with like because he didn't like get a number one show in a jump series, and he just had a good series. It had, had to do with maybe like that character or that person's life. You know what I mean? Like, there are lots of people that make. A living in manga, and then they diversify and they do all kinds of different stuff. They have art shows. They sell their originals. They like, you know, continue to find serialization where they can. They go to North America and do variant covers or whatever. Like, there's not one path anymore for manga, and I think people are slowly starting to figure that out. And that grind is going. But the other half of that is that, like, the pressure. Like, maybe Chip, you can answer this. Don't you feel Mura Sensei, who did, who did? Uh, berserk like those fans were chomping at the bit for every new chapter every time there was a delay every time a chapter took too long every time it was a short chapter like there was enormous pressure on him to have output you know what i mean like i feel like that's a big part of the equation is like how we as people who consume manga or comics treat the people who make it
4: i mean i think in north american comics i mean you don't get that much with the DC Marvel system, because you're just, you're on the schedule that they set out for you. And, you know, maybe with the exception of Hawkeye, when, when Fraction was doing Hawkeye with David and Annie, because that was so late at some point, but Marvel mm-hmm. had no choice in the matter. Like, because they had to keep that team on it. They can't, you can't do a bunch of fill in issues or fire them from Hawkeye. Cause it's like their top selling book. Mm-hmm. That was a case where there's a lot of fan pressure, but like, rarely does that happen in marvel dc and over on Mm. the more independent side all i can think of is saga with brian and fiona and how you know fans are just like constantly barraging them like when is it coming back when is it coming back but Mm. you you don't tend to get that people just tend to forget like they'll be upset the first month or two when something doesn't come out and then they just forget and then that Mm -hmm. feels even worse Mm. (laughs) as a creator because you're like oh okay well i guess that's that
0: there's that anecdote that no one no one remembers that it took a year for watchman 12 to come out after Watchmen 11 came out. They just remember that the graphic novel sold like 250 million copies or something. Yeah. That's its own uh, thing though. Yeah. That Watchmen is very much its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I hope Eric that answered some of your (laughs) questions about manga. (laughs) We went, we went pretty broad there, but I thought I think some of it was really good. It's a question Uh, and almost answer.
4: Yeah. (laughs) We went very broad there and I went very specific with my life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we love you for that.
1: I don't, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but maybe Chris, you do. But is it more possible to live a a decent middle-class life as a moderately popular manga artist than it is as a moderately popular U.S. comics artist?
0: Yes. Mm. You can do it as a manga artist even if your partner doesn't work. But in North America, generally, most of the moderately successful comic artists that are getting by are doing so because they have a partner who works.
4: I mean, that also goes for illustration here as well. I think they're kind of the same thing. I may have told this anecdote before on the podcast, but in my first year out of illustration school, myself and my buddy who graduated went back to the school to give a lecture to the class about what it's like to be out of school for a year, Mm. mostly to counter just like the older illustrators coming in and giving information that was useless to us. Yeah. (laughs) And so we went in and we did like a slideshow of like kind of the work we produced that year for various magazines and newspapers But also, one of the slides was how we were able to be illustrators. The slide was uh, photos of both of our spouses with the dollar (laughs) amount that they made at their job individually. (laughs) We were just like, that is their take-home pay. It's not a lot, but it's enough that we can do this stupid job that pulls in less than them. Like, to survive as an illustrator, you really need a supportive partner, and I think in comics yeah. it's like that too, because of the there's no such thing as a consistent income like it it, yeah. it it varies wildly like I'll have some months where I'm like, oh, I've made zero dollars like like literally months where I'm just like, "Oh, my bank account received zero dollars this month, but it's just, just because, of and- because of timing and like maybe you know something wrapped up, and I just started a thing and I'm not going to get paid for that for a while, and like a bunch of things kind of backed up. I could have some months that are great and some months that are just terrible. And same with the years. And that's mm. a very hard way to live a life, freelance mm. anything. So th- to have a partner that has a steady income, I think most comic book artists probably have that.
0: The other thing I want to mention is health insurance, is that both Canada and Japan have health insurance. And yeah. that is like government provided for the most part health insurance with some notable gaps, like, you know, no no cap, but. America doesn't, and that makes it even harder for people working in the U.S. in the comics industry mm-hmm. to not have nationalized healthcare. That's like a huge thing that Japan has an advantage there, where you can earn a little bit less because you don't have to worry about a health emergency.
4: Sorry, Deb. Sorry, David.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Deb. Sorry, David.
3: What can you do? My plan is to marry rich anyway. So, <laughs> oh, see, oh, there nice. you go. Yeah,
1: I got no uh, plans. The cat ain't. That cat <laughs> definitely ain't pulling his weight. <laughs>
4: cat, cat modeling.
1: He did, Cat ca- modeling, he did catch yeah. three mice in the last week, though, so he's so
0: trying. There you go. There nice. you go. That's the, gram. That's the gram. All right. Eric, sorry to end on a bit of a downer note there, but <laughs> you got more than you bargained for. Thanks, for. thanks for emailing us. If you want to email us a question for Mongosplaining Q&A, we are contact at Mongosplaining.com or you just visit Mongosplaining.com click on the email link that'll, that'll connect us. Or you can just do it on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or wherever, wherever we are. You can just message us. Why not? Why not? All right. This has been an episode, man. This has been an episode of Mongus Planning.
4: Mongus Planning. Why not? Why not?
0: <laughs> what? We are here anyway. Why not? Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to my delightful co hosts, as always. And we will see you next week for Blank Canvas. Thanks very much. This has been MangaSplaining Season 2, Episode 4, An Invitation from a Crab by Panpanya. Thanks so much for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga Blank Canvas by Akiko Higashimura. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic and manga specialty shop. You can find one near you at comicshoplocator.com. Also, check your local library. You never know. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com. We'd like to thank DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode.